In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Look, we all know cancer sucks. This is something that definitely everybody should be getting on board with and, and take part in if you can. Hey everybody, welcome to Puck It, We'll Do It Live, your pre-recorded weekly twins podcast. Today is Friday, June 5th, and I am your co-host, twins beat writer Dan Hayes. Uh, not joined this week by my uh, normal co-host, Zach Pierce, our managing editor of uh, Athletic Minneapolis. Zach currently is on assignment. Uh, he is out at the ballpark covering our simulated twins series between uh, Aaron Gleeman, Zach, and I, and uh, we tweeted out, I think Aaron tweeted out some standings early on. Um, I think we're around the 50-game point or 60-game point, and we are very close to dead even. I think I was two games back. Clearly, the computer is uh, incorrect there, and I'll catch up and make it the rest of the way over this 162-game simulated season and beat those guys didn't listen to my own advice early on and didn't have Paul Molitor playing every day. Instead went with Miguel Sano uh, and Jason Kubel combo and Molitor was only facing lefties. Miguel Sano rewarded me in the first 50 games by striking out 66 times in 107 at bats. So quickly removed him from the lineup and now things are a little bit more even, but uh, we should have some more stuff on that probably coming up next week i would think um when i claim my championship and anyway zach like i said is out at the ballpark this week covering that so uh instead in studio here today we uh got our second maybe our third pick for guest um you know but james vegan our wonderful white Sox beat writer uh finally finally came on the show after i've been on his podcast uh white Sox business twice and we've been trying for months to get this guy and he just continued to deny me said he had better things to do uh he wanted to hang out in the press box at uh u.s cellular or guaranteed rate whatever it is uh with uh our esteemed colleague vinnie duber instead and Finally, though, I talked him into it, and he's here. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on, James, and uh, and joining me here. Um, really appreciate you the time. This is my only phone call from SeaTac uh, Federal <laughs> Penitentiary, with uh, where I share a cell with Esteban Loiza. So let's make it good. How wild was that story? 
<laughs> um, about as wild as I expected it to be, really. I guess it didn't go into, like, um, crazy conspiracy theories or anything else that, uh, you know, my buddies and I used to like to talk about. But, yeah, it, it, it was as nuts as I, I would have expected, given the, the crazy rise and fall. Oh, man, I know. Uh, Scott Miller, for those of you who haven't checked it out, there's a well-reported story on Bleacher Report. Uh, man, that that is detailing the rise and fall of Esteban Loaiza, former White Sox. Did he win 21 with them? Yes, it was a, a record for a Mexican-born pitcher. To, it was at 03? Was that the season? Yeah. Yeah. So, crazy story. Uh, he not he fell apart a in, a, I think it was a late August or September game against the Twins that kind of like... Was the death knell of the White Sox attempt to win the division that year? So uh, also ah. a uh, fond memory for your listeners as well. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they are uh, reveling in that. Actually, right at the height of the Twins' new core, turning things around for a couple of years there uh, until the White Sox. Likes fly forever, Dan. <laughs> they do. Hey, hey, the White Sox. Um, little known fact, because I covered the White Sox for five and a half years. Um, the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. I keep that. No I've one talks that. about this. <laughs> I've seen this in like you were talking about conspiracy theories. I've seen it on the deep web that the White Sox apparently won the World Series in 2005. Never. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even know there was a World Series in 2005, let alone that the White Sox won it. Um, anyways, that's a little inside White Sox humor. Sorry. Twins fans, I know. I had to buy my DVDs of tour to, to access it. Well, like there should be some sort of like cable television network that's just dedicated to replaying it all the time, so people know more about it. I know. Oh man, that, that I mean, in '16 when the Cubs went, it was just hysterical. How many places overlooked the White Sox having won the World Series? Chicago hasn't had a World Series since 1908. No, actually, the White Sox won one. A good 11 years ago. It was produced in the Hollywood basement uh, right next to the studio where they did the landing, the moon landing. Um, but it really happened. It, it actually was, a, it was a, the studio where they produced Sven Gulli, uh for local access in Chicago for <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> nice. Good, good deep Chicago reference that I actually get. And I've only been, you know, in the Midwest for eight years, but I know that one, so. But anyways, let's, uh, you know, we were talking about Esteban on the wise end, how crazy that is. And uh, amidst all the craziness that's been going on lately, um, and and I know uh, a lot of our listeners in uh, Minneapolis and, and Chicago have uh, seen some really tough times this last week and hope everybody's safe. Um, but uh, baseball is playing its own role in this craziness right now as they continue to negotiate. And Interesting use of the word playing. <laughs> good <laughs> yes yes you're correct baseball is not playing uh yeah it is it is a mess right now and i still remain optimistic on this that there will be a season um but i'm not sure it's really ugly and we've talked about this a couple times in the past on the show but james what what are your thoughts on what things what is transpiring currently and and where do you think it heads I mean, my prevailing thought is that um, who am I to question the all-powerful arm of capital that a billion-dollar industry will not find some way to 
force the completion of their uh, very lucrative playoff television contract, and that in, in some way that they will they will earn the money that they they want to earn from uh, their contracts with Fox and and have some at least whatever cursory level of a season is necessary to um, get their playoff revenue. So in that respect, and I think that the fact that the players are painted to some degree of a corner about the fact that they can kind of just unilaterally force a season at, at, at some point uh, makes me think it's going to happen some way. I don't know if necessarily it will work. Um, obviously, they're in the force of a pandemic that it's already shut them down um, in the first place, and it's not like things have gotten magically better in some respects but uh yeah i I think there's too much money and motivation behind it really from both sides both from the players who are just going unpaid during this time and the owners who want to still get their playoff revenue that something is going to happen um i think we probably too much of our industry is focused on the idea of just like pointing at these very nuanced labor conflict and saying like well they should get a deal done and not really um like just kind of putting these two saying that they shouldn't argue over money during this time. Literally all these two parties do their function and their interaction with each other is to argue over money. That's like their sole yes. nature of the union and league conversations is the dispute over money. So it's not like normally these guys put out great Motown records, but they've fallen into this dispute over their contract. Like, no, this is what they do is haggle over this. So I feel like that's a little bit, more nuances needed than just saying like they should make a deal of some kind. And I feel like both in terms of the long-term in the sport and decisions we've seen the light over the past couple of years, the owner's kind of hardline insistence on, well, we don't do this unless it's immediately profitable. I feel like is getting too much of a pass and yeah, like it's too much of just an assumption of them saying, well, if the individual games regular season are profitable, obviously they're going to play as little as possible and the players need to accept that and like make concessions. I feel like that's an oversimplification and the, the long running assumption that, well, they're going to run the business, however they want should be challenged a bit more. Um, because yeah. that's how you get them cutting scouts, uh, left and right. That's how you get them chopping down affiliates, uh, they there has to be more willing and more push to say that the owners should do stuff that's for the long-term health of baseball um, rather than just saying, well, whenever there's uh, whenever something's unprofitable, they're immediately justified to not do it. I, I, I think that logic should be pushed at a bit more. And I know that kind of leads us to me just saying coming off as being pro players in all aspects. And I'm really not. And I think if anything, there's a segment of baseball Twitter that's gotten too leaning towards never criticizing the players for anything ever. I don't want to do that, but um, this is as clear of an example of the owners needing to be willing to accept some degree of losses for the health of the game. And I think this is an opportunity where you're actively campaigning against, campaigning against playing more baseball and providing a more reasonable season. I don't think the example gets much more clear than that. With basketball potentially returning soon, the debate rages on. Who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? One thing we do know for sure is Manscaped is the GOAT for men's grooming. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. And because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your snags will be reduced while designing your own triangle offense down under. Get 20% off and free shipping with their code, THEATHLETIC, 
at manscaped.com. Once again, the code is THEATHLETIC. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. Well, you mentioned it, uh, but I, I think that when we look at it, these are going to be short-term losses for the owners. And it's going they're going to take a hit for this year. But in the long term, their, their franchise values are going to continue to increase. And the money is going to be there for these guys. So I, the part that's always that has bothered me is that you know the owners are saying, hey, without giving a look at their books, and, and people want the owners to open the books up, I agree, but uh, you're going to set a precedent two years before a or a year and a half before a new CBA is argued. The owners are now about to open up their books and share what they have to and set a precedent uh, to let the players know how much of losses they're going to take because then they would have to share the books forever, and then it would become a partnership, and that's impossible for these two sides to have that just because that's how it is with owners and players. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we should be challenging uh, different ways. Look at the, the Washington nationals with their backtrack. Um, it took a little bit of public humiliation for the uh, learner family to, after announcing they're going to pay their minor leaguers 300 bucks a week instead of the 400 bucks a week. So they're going to screw their minor leaguers even more than they're already being screwed. Um, but, they came out with the state. They changed course and decided we will pay them four hundred dollars a week instead. They, uh, of course, their PR tried to leak that they had made their minds up before the the public backlash happened. Sure, right, yeah, uh huh. Um, but you know, something does have to change. It's but you know, it it makes for some entertaining Twitter in some ways. And uh, I I have to admit, um, you know, Evan and and Ken do all the the deep digging and dirty work. And I just follow Carig's feed to see what really is happening. <laughs> like he's like the interpreter for me of, he breaks down the really critical stuff and just makes it simplified for the audience. And that includes me. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's just crazy to see what has happened, um, at such a time when baseball, I don't think that baseball is going to necessarily, you know, I've heard a lot of writers say it's a great chance for baseball to come back and heal the nation and all that. no, fans just are going to get the game. It's not going to do some magic healing. It's just going to be nice to have a distraction uh, to, you know, have could help have heal their for, market uh, share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, money's being spent. That's the one good part about it. Um, money's being spent on advertising money, especially on the TV advertising. You know, there will be, it will help get more. When you get money flowing again, it helps everywhere. It does, even though trickle-down doesn't always work, it does work in some cases, and a lot of people will get jobs out of this. Unfortunately, not people who work at the ballpark and service fans, um, and there's a lot of people who are still going to be out of work until we get you know, a vaccine and fans back in the park. But um, at this point, you know, just getting it going would be great, and it's it's really ugly and not great timing, and it just doesn't – make the sport look very well very good at a time when it could really use some good pr and just try to build back some of the fans i mean we're talking about 25 years 26 years ago when the strike was and baseball still really hasn't recovered fully and when it did it was based off of steroid steroids and home runs and that hurt the sport a little bit and so it still could yeah, bring use, that back yeah we're going to have a hell of a home run race in this 50-game season, whatever it is. 50-game season uh, with guys hitting 80 dingers in it. <laughs> Speaking of which, that's the part that uh, 
I think we are being deprived of. Although if if any kind of schedule happens where there's a lot of interdivision, and I think the the previous plan was like a 68 game or no on the 82 game schedule it was going to be AL Central, AL Central, AL Central versus NL Central, which meant we were still going to get 13 games between the White Sox and the Twins. And first and foremost, James, um, with all the home runs and offense these two teams potentially can generate, can I get an over-under line from you on estimated time of games for those 13 games, those 13 meetings that potentially will happen? For, hmm, um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like the White Sox have a really, um, not to say that they're great, but it's a contact-oriented bullpen. It's a ground ball bullpen. And then you've signed Keuchel, who's a contact-oriented guy. And, I mean, Gio Gonzalez is kind of, um, you know, the second coming of Steve Traxel. But, um <laughs> I don't. I feel like there's a bit of uh, a bit of like sneaky, quick working in, in what they would do. And okay, I, I don't think uh, you know boom and bust home runs uh, kind of approaches. Maybe that doesn't. Uh, maybe that doesn't drag things out as much of like as a as a pesky work the count foul balls off. Uh, you know, s- string together singles, rallies, and stuff like that type of offense. So. I'm not. I'm not sold it to be like a totally just absolute four hour like. Please kill me. Let me out of this ballpark. Uh, <laughs> type of affair. Maybe, but uh, I, I would. So I. I would set the over under at like three ten. So like okay. I would say maybe like. You have to decide whether or not you think it's going to be above average, but I don't think it's going to be an extremely long, just insufferable, uh, game like. I, I think that that bullpen is a little bit maybe the last two years or so of the White Sox bullpen where it's just like walks or home runs all the time. I, I think they've moved a little bit past that with the current group they have set up. Thinking about advertising your business on a local podcast? Why not do it with us? Most of our listeners are in and around Minneapolis. What a better way to promote your business than through our show. Our listeners are also loyal and engaged just like you. What better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast? To advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com backslash podcast ads. Go there, fill out a simple form, and they'll get back to you right away. Once again, go to www.theathletic.com backslash podcast ads today. So uh, the, the thing that I'm noticing, I mean, I... I still see a lot of offense between these two teams. I think that's something that people maybe don't. You know, the White Sox had some really good uh, hitters in the middle of the lineup. But this offseason, which, by the way, feels like it was a year ago now. Remember when they signed Yasmani Grandal? What, what, when was that? Was that November? I think it was November. I was in a, uh, I was in a coffee shop at the time, which you are allowed to do. Uh, back then and um, back in the olden days someone was sitting like at a close enough to me at a degree that I would be uncomfortable with right now and um, yeah I was just in a public space for like hours because I was waiting for my wife to get out of grad school class it's all a bunch of like foreign activity that doesn't even make sense anymore yes and that was also eight months ago was it eight months ago already Uh, it was like six or seven 
it, it's I mean, been it's long insane. enough ago that like some project to uh, like look into Yasmani's like career as an amateur player that I've like abandoned and forgotten about. I've since picked back up because what else can I do but to this phone call old college coaches and ask them about players? Um, a now extremely tired formula that we, that's all we have left is sports reporters. <laughs> hey, nostalgia, man, nostalgia. Also, I got hey, several you, nostalgia Mon- projects. Monty Heis- uh, a future big leaguer in high school. Ah, well, you're not going to believe this, but he was good as hell. <laughs> riveting, riveting detailed stuff there that you can't find anywhere else, actually. No, we've actually been able to do some cool stuff. It's the one part that I, I have learned a ton more about the team's history myself um, during this because, you know, this is only my third year, and I've learned so much about the Twins. I didn't even know they won a World Series in 87 to 91 until, like, you know, two weeks ago. Had no clue. And uh, What is Jack know, Morris like? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's still one of my favorite stories I ever did was get to do the uh, Game 7 uh, 1991 oral history. Um, how how um, far away are you from the oral history of signing Alexi Casilla? Uh, you know, that's like fourth on my list, fourth or fifth. So um, what about you with the uh, oral history of Dwayne Wise's uh, catch for the the perfect game? Nobody's ever written about that in Chicago. <laughs> Another like oh, under the radar, undiscussed uh, topic, but um, apparently like Joe Posnanski, some guy had like been working on a project about it. So I was supposed to like, you know, sit back a little bit, let him cook, uh, you know, let him cut his teeth uh, <laughs> See if he can do something with it. Uh, I don't know if he got any readers about it, but um, you know, hopefully that guy is able to make a name for himself and uh, get some shine <laughs> off of it. Obviously, I don't need to build up my resume any longer than it already is, so he was allowed to write about it. DY is good, dude. I covered him for like a part of that twelve season. I think didn't he come back at the end of twelve? Was he uh, or was yes. he maybe um, because they were in the pennant race? Was that the last time they were in the pennant race? Pretty much, unless you're counting twenty three and ten. In the oh yes, when when Hawk had them, uh, that was the and then the Todd Frazier game happened, where Todd Frazier hurt himself in Texas, and Hawk left the booth uh, to to race down. Yeah, that's right. Dwayne Wise played forty five games for the twelve White Sox, but good dude, great catch, unbelievable. We'll never be forgotten in Chicago for that. But let's get back to the the current team. Um, how much offense? You know, I I was suggesting that we're gonna have these lengthy games where these two teams beat the hell out of each other. But how much offense do you think the White Sox have added between Encarnacion, Grandal, between Eloy Jimenez getting better, um, and obviously there's the addition of Luis Robert, who's gonna be making his debut at some point in the next four to six months uh, when we play this 50 game season. So that that's my area of skepticism with their offense. I think this was going to be like a really good offensive team by like August or September. Um, I think that's when you'd see Eloy Mendes just looking like an absolute monster. That's when I think you'd see Luis Robert probably coming down from like a couple early months where maybe he's striking out like 35% of the time. That's when like Nick Madrigal is in the majors and is fully um, acclimated and, and maybe he's off to a little bit of a hot roll. That's where maybe some older gentleman like an is getting 
away, getting rolling after uh, and back to his normal production after maybe he looks like he's cooked for like the first month of the season. Everyone's freaking out. Now I don't know how that plays out over the course of a long season over 50 games. I don't know if like Aloy Menez wasn't really Aloy Menez last year until like June, and obviously right. some of that was injury, but and that's hardly a factor that Luis Robert has proven immune to in his young career. I don't know if like any of these young guys get rolling the way you would expect them to get rolling, um, but in a fifty-game season, let alone just like a a, a half season. I, I I think that kind of season-long maturation process that you were counting on them to like get to the end of and look pretty good at, you're only getting a halfway or a third of the way through, and just about pretty much any season. If you took a, you could probably take a fifteen game chunk, of a fifty game chunk of it, and make it look pretty bad. Like Tim Anderson had yeah. like a slow May. Like if that's half of his season last year, obviously he doesn't win the batting title. Maybe he doesn't look even that good at all. And you could say the same for Yamankata had a bad month of May. Uh, none of these guys, even their best hitters, are kind of like kind of swing happy dudes, and none of them are immune from just kind of a a cold month. And now that's half the season. They could just right. mess around and have a flat-out bad offense, and it might not mean anything long-term, but that's all we'll really get, or that it doesn't really mean what they're, they'll look like down the road. But uh, the acclimation process, that's all the season is going to be for, for half or a third of their young core. You have been around um, for the end of this rebuild as they're they're starting to get good now. And I, I you just look at the lineup and – Look at last year's roster, and you know I'm looking at Baseball Reference, and the the listed right fielder is Ryan Cordell, who got 97 games. The listed center fielder is Adam Engel. The listed DH is Yonder Alonso. Um, the the lineup is deeper. That guy I mean, was there is... last year, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. The, remember when he was gonna magically bring in Manny Machado? Uh, that yeah. was. Uh, Man, Yonder's a good dude. I covered Yonder when he was a rookie in San Diego. That was a long time ago. Um, but he just didn't have it last year. Hit 178. That won't be the case with this team. And and there is so much more depth. The White Sox finally did do the spending that they'd been talking about doing because they have the young guys coming in. So where where do you think? And, and let's just throw out even this season. Like you said, a bad 50-game stretch could sink anybody – it's going to be hard to get a, a feel for where a team is. Where, though, do you think the White Sox are as far as going forward uh, and and realizing what they're supposed to have realized out of that fire sale at the end of 16 and 17 seasons? Like how far are they how far towards along are their they? goal? Yeah, yeah where, when is the next White Sox World Series uh, parade scheduled for, James? I mean, we talked about, I feel like the the – the chic thing to discuss every time, like, you know, Jake Berger got hurt or um, some, or Yon Mankata tweaked a hammy or, uh, you know, a pitching prospect got Tommy John and be like, well, does this set the, the rebuild back? Does this put them back a year where they thought they would be? Um, this sets the rebuild back because <laughs> this was all a season about figuring out. I mean, you, you, you signed. Dallas Keuchel and, and Gio Gonzalez to kind of patch holes in the rotation that you realize we're seeing, but you were supposed to find out this year if Dylan Cease was a dude in the rotation, if um, Michael Kopech was going to step forward and be a dude in the rotation, even though you, you suspect that the talent level is there for him to, to be something in the rotation no matter what. This was a year where basically after the end of it, 
if Ronaldo Lopez had turned in another mediocre season, you probably start thinking about like, all right, we know what this is. Do we want to upgrade it or not? Or do we want to make it like the fifth starter and upgrade elsewhere? You were supposed to answer all these questions about the starting rotation and answer all these questions about what your need would be, even if it didn't result in, even the season didn't result in like 90 wins or anything like that. You were supposed to know a lot more about how you'd address that in your offseason moves than you're going to wind up knowing now. So I think that's particularly frustrating. You're probably supposed to know a lot more about the future of your bullpen. Um, I mean, God, they've been expecting Zach Birdie to come up and be the closer for three years now. There was supposed to be some more resolution on that uh, by the end of the season. Obviously, you can always enter this offseason and say we need to add more relief pitching or we should add a starter. But there's supposed to be a lot more clarity about where they should attack. Um, You were probably supposed to enter this offseason saying, all right, Nomar Mazar stinks. We need to sign George Springer and free agency, and that's our big get for this offseason. Or you'd be like, hey, we don't need to spend on a right fielder because Nomar Mazara, he, we fixed him, and now he's an 850 OPS guy. I don't, I, you're just not going to have this clarity to know where to attack. I think, theoretically, yeah. after this season, they should have been a spot where they could have made a few crucial ads and say, like, hey, our expectation level is to win the Yale Central in 2021. And if we do that, obviously, we think we're a player in the World Series, and maybe their peak or prime is 2022 or 2023. But there would be all about... You, you would know what the strengths of the core are and what isn't. And I don't think they're going to have that clarity yet. And maybe that between not knowing where they should add and the fact that revenue, maybe the conversation with Jerry about where they're spending and what they need is like, Hey, actually we made no money for like four months and um, yeah, make do with what you got internally. I, I feel like that throws off the calculus uh, of where they're going to be um, both in 2021 and, and kind of beyond. And, you know, obviously that's probably true for a lot of teams and maybe the free agent market just collapses in general. And maybe Mookie Betts is signing for a one one year, five million next offseason. I don't know. Uh, But I I feel like not so much like it puts them in a bad way or like they're they're screwed now. Or this is like they loaded all up for 2020 and they're trying to win the World Series. And now the season's basically uh, a horror show. But I, I mostly I just don't know what to say. And. It, there's a lack of clarity of what their next move should be because this year was about figuring out stuff even more than 2018 and 2019 were, uh, you know, rebuild years where you're trying out guys. Yeah. No, no. And, and, you know, on the other end, the twins have a couple guys that are on their last legs that they're trying to get as much out of. And so having some kind of season is huge for a Nelson Cruz. Um, although I, I shouldn't say last legs, we don't know what he is going to be. I mean, what he did last year was amazing, and and honestly, with the way he keeps himself in uh, shape and the way he rests um, and and just takes care of himself properly, whether it's diet or the the constant napping, you wonder if that stuff can extend his career. Um, naps are good, by the way, everybody. I've been nap. I am a nap king during this uh, pandemic. Um, I've always called you the nap king. Thank you, thank you. Not to your face. <laughs> <laughs> anyways so we uh, uh like you you wonder there and and rich hill you know i mean yes the twins actually have a better shot of getting rich hill back uh on the mound if if this season was to start in early july you know he was supposed to be back mid-june early july mid-july somewhere in that range anyways so that that stuff's good but i you know you could probably go around the league and find different um, ways that this affects everybody. I think some of the teams that benefit are the teams that 
are tanking right now. It actually probably helps the Tigers and the Royals uh, in that their fans don't have to suffer through 162 games of lousiness to get a little further because they're still going to be you know, bad and they'll still have a high draft pick at the end of this season. And, um, you know, they they won't have to suffer through all of what the White Sox have had to deal with the last couple of years. Uh, that, they'll that get through Jill the Mal- Jordan Zimmerman contract some way, somehow. <laughs> the Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Zimmerman contract, man. How about the, uh, I mean, we were both there for it. The last day of 2018 when the White Sox lost that 100th game, uh, and it was Joe Mauer day. Uh, like, teams aren't going to have to suffer that. So maybe the, the rebuilding teams are – getting out of this a little bit easier, although the development time loss is critical. But uh, it's affecting everybody in a lot of ways. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, the I think the uh, the motto was amongst White Sox fans when they started the rebuild that 2020, 2021 was going to be when they hung the next banner. And clearly it's going to be uh, interesting. What, what do you think of this potential 10-team uh, division? Who were the uh, who were the, the top teams in your uh, your mind out of the – uh, Lavelle was I was talking to Lavelle Neal earlier today or earlier Thursday and he said that he and Derek Gold were gonna call it the flyover division uh the NL Central and AL Central combined but who do you think comes out of it maybe the top two or three teams I mean it's a nice landing for the White Sox because I think the the twins are the closest thing to a true juggernaut and and maybe obviously if they repeat last year they are um yeah but it's not like super stacked like you have the freaking like Dodgers and Astros at the same time, or you have uh, the Braves, uh, Yankees and Red Sox and Rays, and uh, also the you know the defending champions in in, in there. Uh, so it, it, there's not just like two, three killers who are absolutely going to like be at the top of the division no matter what. I would say I probably like the Cardinals more than most, but I look at that lineup and I think of them playing DH uh, all time DH ball, and they're not specifically well suited for that. Um, yeah. unless, you know, somebody takes like a big step forward. So I, I think it's probably a little bit more wide open and it's definitely like if there's a division that can put somebody in the playoffs with a, a win total in the eighties, this seems like the division where there'll be a lot of scrapping and that will happen. But I, you know, it's not beyond the, the Cleveland Indians to just pitch really well and, and win over 90 games or it's, it's not beyond, um, you know, you know the Cubs even having like a pretty good season, or, or things breaking right for them, or the or the Cardinals being even more dominant than we thought. Um, so I, I I definitely think it's wide open for kind of the mediocre teams that the White Sox fit into, but it's also a, a division I don't think anyone would be surprised for the Twins to just own it the whole way through. Um, they certainly are talented enough to do that, provided everyone doesn't get extremely old at once, which right. you know, they're at the risk of because you push that risk forward when you think this is a, a this is a time for you to contend and. No, no one is. No one sees the global pandemic coming that makes the, the season not as legitimate as all the others. And that's. I feel like the twin. I think everyone's hurt by it. Um, but I think the twins would probably be a team I think of as like, man, that team really probably wasn't planning on this uh, when they put this group together. Right. They made a trade. They made a huge trade for them, where they gave a prospect, and it, it's definitely kind of a uh, a spot where you you wonder what will happen with them. I mean, you, they, they were the team that never spent money and they go out and spend on Josh Donaldson. And so they're minimum losing 80 games off of his uh, first year. And you knew when you made that contract, the back end of it was not going to be as pleasant as probably the first year or two and maybe two and a half years. There's going to be some downside on that. And here you are losing half of that year. Um, they've made the Kenta Maeda trade. 
and gave up a, a prospect that's high on their list. They never really did that. They they clearly went for it and are going to be hurt by that. Uh, but you know, one team I'm I'm thinking is sort of a dark horse that should be interesting will be the Reds. Um, you know, they didn't quite put it together last year, but I still I like what they're building, where they're going, and you know, Trevor Bowers now the front of a, a pretty good rotation there. Um, so that'll be an uh, interesting group to see what they can pull off. If it ever, if it all happens, you know, yeah, that's... There's, there's that. And I don't like, if your team is bad in a 50 game season, don't you just kind of like shrug and be like, well, it was all BS anyway. So move on. Right. Like, and what, what about I, the team? I can that imagine wins? like, what about, what, what if, what if the, the Mariners won it all this year? Not that the Mariners are going at all. What if, you know, a team that's never won the World Series wins it this year. Does that devalue their World Series win? Uh, I mean, the Jason Jenks story on it would do numbers, so that's all that really matters. <laughs> but I think if you're – yeah, it would be really weird. Uh, I get the – was it the Bob Costas angle of, like, you don't want, like, a historical drought to break in this fashion. Um, but yeah. I think it would be something. You know, you'd, you'd at least – you'd rather win the stupid, meaningless tournament, tournament than, than lose it. Um it, it, I don't think it would mean as much as like for them. Yeah, that'd be really weird. I don't know. I I, I feel like you you wouldn't be rooting against them or anything like that. But you, you'd almost want this uh, this season to be kind of normal and forgettable in terms of its result, than rather something that would be franchise altering or baseball history altering. But I, I also think it'd just be so easy if your team just like doesn't show up to play um, this entire season, just stinks to just kind of be like, eh, eh, it doesn't really mean anything for our overall direction. Right. Just kind of uh, move on to next year. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's uh, it'll be easy to dismiss in that way, but it'll make for some fun arguments going forward. Um, I mean, it could again, be disastrous on the other end if like your team is not that good and you like go thirty and twenty or something in fifty games, and you think like, oh, it's our, it's our contention cycle, and start pushing everything in, and it's really it was all smoke and mirrors. Uh, that could be a really funny disaster to cover, I guess. Twenty three and ten start. That was not a fun. My goodness, that was a disaster. That 2016 White Sox team was a disaster. Look, look how much we would have thought they were in the race. That team fell apart so fast. And then Chris Sale cut up jerseys. It was such a mess. And Explaining the turn of events to really captive uh, group of fathers at a one-year-old's birthday party, was a, it was fun. I, I Thank you, Chris, for that experience. I still, I, I still have yet to start my garage band um, five-game suspension for insubordination and destruction of team property. Uh, I, I have not uh, started that band, but I'm going to. It's going to be a, a death metal band, insubordination and destruction of team property. I would think like you'd want to go, the band name is five-game suspension, and the it's the insubordination and destruction of team property tour. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, James, thanks for coming on. I uh, really appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully we get to do one of these in season, maybe even do a round table with all the other teams in our division. And uh, that'd be fun. That'd be a Royal Rumble podcast to have all 10 of our beat writers on at the same time. It'd be great to just have material. Yeah, I know. I know. Like you mentioned the other day on Twitter, uh, writing about a player's two-week hot streak, would there would be nothing better than that. There would be nothing better than – five four-hour games in a row right now just to cover it'd be it'd be nice just to have some stuff to do it'd be great to have like a really detailed like 
statistical dive about a new pitch and then walk up to the guy and have him say like no nothing's changed (laughs) exactly exactly all right well thanks for thanks for joining us and everybody thanks for listening no it's been a very crazy week um on top of a crazy three months and i hope everyone is staying safe and yet getting your voice heard um really appreciate you dropping by to listen and until next week uh that will do it for the uh Puckett will do it live podcast. Bye.